could shine between the lines if you would let yourself go find some place you know you can use your words use your hands you can change the world you just pretend express yourself take a chance and you'll see who you'll be it's time to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Sometimes the biggest gain in productive energy will come from clearing the cobwebs dealing with old business and clearing the desks, cutting loose debris that's impeding forward motion. That's a quote by David Allen. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. I'm Caitlin Darrow, and before we get into the, today's show, Be The Star You Are as volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the Events tab to find exciting events we have coming up, and also visit us at ExpressYourselfToTeenRadio.com to check out past editions of our show. We are thrilled to have received a Certificate of Recognition from the California Legislator honoring Be The Star You Are's volunteers for 20 years of dedicated service to the community through literacy and positive media messages, and we're determined to continue our empowering efforts. I'm Kenneth Jun, and for our first segment of today's show, our very own Caitlin Darrow, my co-host, will be sharing tips for productivity, which accompanies our overall theme of productivity and hindsight in 2020. I'm excited to hear your tips, Caitlin. Take it away. Thanks so much, Kenneth. Um, So I wanted to start off with some basic tips. I'm sure that some of these we've heard before, but I feel like it's a really good reminder, especially now that we're we're back in the swing of things. It's 2020. um, Winter break is over. I know for me, I had a pretty long winter break in college. And so now getting back into my classes and having midterms in a couple of weeks, I am definitely in need of some tips and reminders on how to stay productive. So starting off with number one, I would recommend writing everything down. I have a very detailed journal and I also have a huge calendar book, which I'm always writing to-do lists. Every single task, every commitment, I try to write it down and it's such a great feeling to have that external, uh, being able to scratch it off with your pen and seeing it on paper, a tangible page of all of these accomplishments that you got done throughout the day. For me, it's very encouraging when I'm going through a very long to-do list. 
Um, My second tip for writing it down would be to never put a huge project as just one to-do list on your list. So it's very easy to get overwhelmed this way. So I would recommend breaking it up into smaller tasks that will help you stay on track. So for example, if you're looking to reorganize your room, you should avoid putting clean room. That's (laughs) very, very vague. And I think when you look at that, it, it could be a little overwhelming. So instead, I would recommend trying to be super specific and write down tasks like clear desk or organize closet. Start with a small area and try to make your to-do list as detailed as possible. My second tip would be to turn off distractions. I think that it's really easy to get lost on your phone and to start scrolling on Facebook or Instagram. And sometimes in order to be productive, you have to silence those outside distractions. This could be video games, your television. I feel like it's usually electronics, but whatever it is, I guarantee you will be much more productive with your task at hand if your focus isn't being divided into different directions. I will say that sometimes for passive activities, so maybe if I have to do my laundry or if I'm folding my clothes, I love to have a little bit of TV on or music or a podcast, something that I can passively listen to. That always really, really helps me um, when trying to do a task that perhaps I don't like very much. But if it's something that requires a lot of thinking, like homework or any sort of studying, replying to emails, usually I have to have total silence and then I can put my 100% focus into that. But of course, I know that everyone works a little bit differently. My My next tip would be to take breaks. I think that it can be really, really easy to get lost in it and to be sitting at your desk for eight hours. But for me, I feel definitely most productive after I take breaks throughout the day and reward myself by staying on track. When I'm studying for an exam, I could legitimately spend up to 10 hours sitting at my desk, staring at my computer screen as I review class notes and lectures. However, I am much more productive when I give myself those little five-minute breaks or 10-minute breaks to go outside and take a walk, get fresh air, and then I can come back with a clear head and I'm ready to work again. Lastly, I would recommend starting with the hardest tasks first. So again, like I said in the beginning, be sure to make a list. Make a list of everything you need to get done. Make it as detailed as possible. And for me, I feel like I'm always tempted to start with the easier, more enjoyable to-dos on my list. However, I noticed that I would still put certain tasks off. So the things I didn't like to do continued to pile up and it became quite stressful. Now I try to start with the most difficult and time-consuming activities so I can get it out of the way, I can start my day, and then this encourages me to get it done faster, and then I get to move on to those tasks or activities that I enjoy a little bit more. So for me personally, getting done the worst of it is very helpful, but maybe for other people, starting with the easier tasks and then leading up to the big ones might be easier. I think that it really all comes down to how you work individually. 
And then my last closing tip I wanted to say was just to change up your environment. Personally, I love working in different libraries on campus and coffee shops. I love going to different coffee shops in Los Angeles. There are so many here. And so I'm always changing up my environment. I tend to not work so well from home. But again, I think that this differs um, according to the individual. Kenneth, I wanted to know, what are some of your tips on staying productive, staying on track? I know it can be quite hard to get distracted. And I think personally, I used to be quite the procrastinator, especially when I was in high school. I tended to put things off until the last minute, but it just became very overwhelming and stressful for me. So throughout the years, I think that I've learned to see what works best for me. So I'm curious to see how you stay productive. Um. Yeah, uh, before that, I want to just say, I think, like, your tips are really cool. Yeah, I think it was a really cool way to, like, kind of fragment, as you said, um, that process towards becoming more productive. Um, Yeah, the way you kind of, like, split up your tips, I think, is a really nice way to kind of break up that approach, right? Yeah, totally. I think that to-do lists, at least for me, like, I love just writing it out, even if it's a list of 20 things. And then it's so enjoyable to be able to scratch it out and be like, okay, yes, I've done it. And, like, see it in such a physical, tangible way uh, has Mm -hmm. always been super helpful for me trying to stay on track with my activities. Yeah. Um, And going off of that, I think... uh, Probably one of my biggest tips that I've come to appreciate over the years is, uh, yeah, I've also been, I have like a problem with procrastinating too. I put off a lot of things to the last minute. Um, Even just small things I kind of just like put off and I'll say, oh, I can get them done. They're like easy things. They take a few minutes at most. Um, I can just do those later. But I think uh, actually doing those when you can, I, I don't know where I got this tip, but I remember someone saying like, if there's a task that you can do in five to ten minutes, um, something you can do really fast, something you can just like, I don't know, yeah, just do in a couple of seconds or minutes and just get mm. it done, get it out of the way. Doing those when you can is really helpful for clearing up your uh, schedule, clearing up your workload later on, you know, because all those little things kind of build up later. Oh, I love that. Yes, I totally agree. I think even those little things I tend to put off too, like replying to an email. I'm like, oh, I'll just sit down tonight and, you know, I'll do it tonight when I'm sitting at my desk. But um, I think that you're so right. If it only takes like five or 10 minutes, why not just do it right then and there? Um, And I feel like I'm pretty bad at that too. Sometimes like writing people, like texting back my friends, I'm the worst at that. It all piles up. And then I have like 20 texts and I'm feeling so overwhelmed. And (laughs) I definitely agree that if it takes five to 10 minutes, just doing it on the spot, that's such a great idea, Kenneth. Yeah. Um, Yeah. About the texts and stuff, I'm the exact same way. Um, Yeah. I've like had a problem with that where all those texts and emails and stuff will pile up. And then I'd have to just sit down for like like up to an hour just like kind of grinding mm. through all of them and that gets really weird and like you don't really sound like authentic when you do those yeah I found that oh kind that's of just, so true um, yeah and just mm. breaking them out one at a time when you can is a really helpful way to split up that workload 
Mm, totally agree. Um, I know on my last tip, I had talked about changing up your environment. Is there any particular place that you enjoy going to to work? Or I know some of my friends, like they can study with music on, blasting, and, you know, they don't get distracted at all. I feel like I'm the kind of person that has to be in a pretty quiet environment. I just think that that's so interesting to me, how everybody is productive in their own unique ways. And so that's why when I'm sharing these tips, I kind of want people just to tailor it to themselves because everyone is so different and everyone has such a different way of working and being productive. Yeah, um, I think music is a really like interesting thing with how a lot of people approach it. Like, yeah, I'm kind of the same way where I can't really focus that much when I'm listening to something. Um, I, I mean, actually, there are certain situations where if I'm like, I don't know, doing something more creative, I guess, listening to a song can kind of help like spark my brain up and get me motivated, get like a ball rolling. Um, but yeah, I know a lot of other people who can sit down, like write essays and stuff while listening to music, which is something that I can never do. Those kinds <laughs> of, yeah. I agree. Just... I feel like I have different playlists. Like I definitely have a study playlist and it's very like quiet, melodic music, nothing with lyrics. I think that when I start mm-hmm. to hear like the lyrics of a song that I just get so distracted and it's so hard for me to stay productive and on track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. Like listening to lyrics just like breaks my focus completely. Um, yeah, and in terms of locations, uh, yeah, coffee shops are pretty cool. I usually go to them when I'm feeling really stuck on something. If I have like writer's block for a paper I'm supposed to write, if I'm designing something and I can't get an idea out, I usually like to change up my location. Um, and that actually leads to a question I want to ask you. Um, if you ever run into a problem with creativity in specific, like if you're ever working on something, a project that's artistic or something that requires a lot of like invention from your own mind, how do you overcome like writer's block, like getting an idea out rather than just, you know, procrastination or something like that? Oh, yes. <laughs> that's such a good question, um, especially because I have been trying to delve more into creative endeavors lately and writing more poetry and things of that sort and doing more creative writing because I feel like I have more of a background in journalism. So I'm very comfortable with writing uh, nonfiction. But when it comes to trying to be creative and writing a poem or a creative story, um, it it can be so hard because it's such a different genre. So for me, I've found it really helpful Um, as I mentioned, disconnecting, turning off my phone, stepping away. Because for me, it's so easy to get a text message and then start talking to a friend or get like a Facebook notification and start scrolling. And then like three hours go by and I'm like, oh no. (laughs) So for me, definitely turning off the phone, uh, going outside is really helpful. I love, love being outside in nature, especially if I'm trying to do something creative like writing or painting I think that even just taking a walk in your own neighborhood is fantastic. But I live in California and there's so many beautiful parks and um, nature oriented spots, not even just in LA, but all over the state that I love to go out to and visit. So if I'm ever able to take like a little weekend road trip and my dream ideal situation would be to like get a little cabin and hide away for a few days and just have no internet and just write and work. And that's for me the most 
uh, productive thing I could ever do. But of course, that's not always something that I can do because I am in school and I do have work and I have other commitments. But, um, you know, just even taking a walk around the block can be helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually really funny. I feel that like the same way um, with the whole cabin thing. I've always mm-hmm. said like, if I had like a million billion dollars and I could just buy like multiple houses everywhere, I love to just buy like a random cabin or a ranch in like Wyoming <laughs> or Montana or somewhere um, just to kind of like hide away for a couple like days or weeks, work on stuff. And my friends are always like, why do you want to live in like the middle of nowhere? <laughs> yeah, but that's that's always something that's been pretty cool to get my like mind working, get focused. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that um, cities are great for inspiration as well, but mm-hmm. I tend to thrive in more quiet environments when it comes to creativity. But I do think that living in a city and being around so much hustle and bustle definitely keeps me ambitious. So that's always good. But I do think that it's a bit of a balance. So if you can get away for a couple of days, of course, that's ideal. But um like I mentioned, it's not always possible to do that. So I think that trying to find it in your own neighborhood or taking a day to go to the beach, um, you know, can really spark something within you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that change um, can really get like momentum rolling with your creativity, with your productivity. And yeah, I want to thank you again. Those are really um, insightful, wise tips um, that I think uh, can really help a lot of people listening. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing, and uh, that concludes our first segment of today's show. Uh, As a side note, Be The Star You Are for teens, uh, as well as the newest establishment in the series, Be The Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World, is available now and can be found at www.starstylestore.net. If you're looking for a new book to read, uh, consider picking up a copy. Remember that every bit of your purchase benefits the Be The Star You Are 501c3 charity and this Express Yourself program as a donation, so make sure to get your copy today. Check out youtube.com slash be the star you are for our fun and informative BTSYA videos on living, laughing, and learning. Keep on listening as we continue our conversation on productivity and hindsight. to live up to your full potential you've heard that for years but now there's a channel to help you get there introducing the voice america empowerment channel our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated hear about success stories and positive encouragement around the clock and we've responded to you the voice america empowerment channel is the home of the world's top life coaches entrepreneurs and success experts listen to the voice america empowerment channel it's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Are you aware that each one of us was born with a mission, a sense of purpose? Even if you don't know it yet, it will reveal itself. Pay attention to the clues that will lead you to uncover your mission. 
Listen to Mission Possible program with host Carol Ann Fernandez. Along with some amazing guests, Carol Ann seeks to help you along the journey to manifest your mission. It's time to unleash your greater potential. Mission Possible program airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thanks for staying with us here at Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. In this next segment, we're joined by Dr. Patty Ashley, a psychotherapist, speaker, authenticity architect, and author of Letters to Freedom. With 30 plus years of combined experience as a mother, educator, author, and psychotherapist, Patty has developed a well-seasoned approach for helping individuals, couples, and families break through barriers to personal freedom and authentic growth, an evolution of consciousness for individuals and groups. In addition to working as a psychotherapist in private practice and hospital settings, Patty's work experience has included developing parent education and support group programs for pediatric practices and women's centers, teaching undergraduate and graduate level classes in early childhood development at Old Dominion University and Naropa University, and developing, directing, and consulting with mentoring programs for Boulder Valley School District and the University of Colorado. With that, let's welcome Patty onto the show. Hi, Patty. It's great to have you. Hi, Kenneth and Caitlin. Great to be here. Yeah. Um, So jumping right into it, you have the new book called Letters to Freedom. Um, Can you tell us what that book is about? Yeah, this is my second book, and it it's come straight from my heart. It's a memoir. I um, When I was 11 years old, my father died of a sudden heart attack, and um, three years ago, the midlife man of my dreams died the exact same way, and it was sudden, and it was shocking, and I sat at my computer for months just writing stories about us, and later I realized, you know, maybe a memoir about grief would help other people because in my work um, as a psychotherapist, I work a lot with grief. And grief is such a challenging um, thing for all of us, right? Because it's just hard and doesn't feel good. And we, you know, challenging to know how to maneuver through it. And because in my work as a therapist, I do that with people. I thought, well, maybe if I share the story, it'll help people. So it was released on April um, 9th of last year, which was would have been his 64th birthday. And since then, I've been planning this huge virtual launch on February 4th, which is the 50th anniversary of when my father died. Um, and I'm going to be giving away interviews of 18 to different authors, my Fear to Love to Grace Summit that I've put together as a gift for people who buy the book on Amazon.com that day. So it's pretty exciting that it's all, you know, coming together next Tuesday. Wow. 
That's so exciting. Congratulations, first of all, and just um, having your books published and working on that and going through your own grief. I can only imagine what that process was like. I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about what it was like to sit down and write Letters to Freedom because I read a quote on your website which said, I sat down night after night for many, many months, remembering, writing, and dripping tears on the keyboard. My computer was my new best friend. And I think that it's so interesting that you come from this background as a therapist and then delving into your own grief. I can only imagine how difficult that must have been. Yeah. Thanks, Caitlin. Um, it, it, it was a full circle experience from, you know, having lost my father as a young child and a very strict Catholic family that, you know, the messages I got at that time were, he's in heaven, let's go back to school, come on now, you know, we'll get through this. There wasn't a lot of conversation about what grief felt like, what, you know, what grief is, and so that's why I became a therapist, because... Um, I just kind of grew up thinking, this is really odd. Nobody really wants to talk about this. And um, so I started my own work at 30 with my therapist around unresolved grief and spent, you know, quite a bit of time just really digging into what grief is and what happens when we don't move through grief present time and, you know, how all these experiences that we're feeling have to move through us in order for us to get through them, right? So when my partner died, suddenly all I could think was, well, I should know how to do this now, right? <laughs> I should, I have the PhD in how to do this. And it was just hard and traumatic. And I wanted to write down things that had happened between us so that I could remember them. Plus, Later on, I, I had, in hindsight, thought, well, you know, one thing I did learn about grief is you have to tell a story at least a hundred times. Because again, moving through grief and moving it out, um, having people who can listen to us talk about the people we've lost is such a gift. And I even felt a little uncomfortable because I'm I'm pretty emotional, you know. So now that I know how to grieve, you know, to grieve. It was, where's the right person who can really listen to me and tell the stories while I'm crying and, and wailing and, and processing all of it? So writing the stories on my computer was one way I could do that. I mean, also talking to my friends was essential. But just writing the stories really helped me. And even now when I look at it, you know... Um, year or so later after it was published, I think, wow, I'm so glad I wrote that down, you know, because you know how things change later and you go, oh, wow, I remember that. But, you know, the details of writing it at the time was so therapeutic for me and and now such a gift even for myself. I'm hoping it, the book will help other people, which is why I was vulnerable and put it out on Amazon.com, but just for the process of my, my own um, healing it was really helpful. Wow. Yeah, so if I'm getting that right, um, the writing down your stories was actually a known form of therapy that you kind of pushed yourself into. Um, did it come naturally, or was it something you had to like, actively set your mind to? Well, I enjoy writing. I mean, I just finished my third book, and I, um, I like writing. So I've been journaling since I started my own therapy and when I was 30 years old and my therapist suggested that and I just find 
that it's helpful for me. And so it may not be for everybody. Some people, like some of my clients, they don't like to write. They're like, I don't do that. So that's okay. You know, they might have another creative outlet. They may like to um, do art or they may like to, you know, do some other activity, dance or even yoga. You know, we can express ourselves through our body movements, right? So for me, um, I, I... I do all of that as well, you know, and I have done some paintings and things like that as well. But the, um, just the writing the stories was just important to me because I, I, I was in such shock because he was so healthy. He was going out for a run and then came back and had a heart attack on the living room floor, which is the exact same place my father had his heart attack. So I was just so stunned and shocked. And all I kept thinking was, oh, my gosh, did something happen that gave me a clue that, that this could have happened? You know, did what, what was the part in our relationship that was happening and it, that led up to this? And so I really wanted to just write about it, you know. So it was mm-hmm. kind of intrinsically motivating for me that way. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing. It does sound really uh, intrinsic and healing. And um, that is such a crazy coincidence to hear those similarities between your father and, um, you know, your uh, lover as well. That's really, really quite interesting. Um, I wanted to also ask you a bit about authenticity architecture. I know that uh, we mentioned it in the beginning, and I'm really quite curious about what it is. And you created this unique process designed to help people reconstruct their authentic authentic self and live their best life. So if you could tell us a little bit about authenticity archi- architecture. Yeah, I'd love to because it's so exciting for me to have you know put all my years of work together as an educator and a therapist and a parent educator as well. Um, but I just want to kind of circle back because I realized in the, our conversation about Letters to Freedom, I did not mention that my partner's name was Lawrence Freedom, which is why the book is called Letters to Freedom because I was writing him letters at, at, at different points in our relationship. So I just want to say that so the book makes more sense. What does that mean? Plus it can be a metaphor. So anyway, I just want to put that out there because that book is such a deep part of my heart as was Lawrence Freedom. Mm, um, thank, you. thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, thank you. So Authenticity Architecture, I, you know, my third book that's coming out hopefully in the spring is called Shame Informed Therapy, The Art and Architecture of Recreating the Authentic Self. And it's for therapists who, um, you know, work with people with anxiety, depression, you know, just life challenges. And the idea is, you know, what we know now in brain research, how shame gets set up in the body memory. It's very similar to trauma. And a lot of the message, messages that we get about not being good enough, I think it seems to be kind of a common theme for a lot of people. Like, I can't, I'm, I'll never get it right. I'm not good enough. You know, I, I'm never, never going to figure this life out. I'm a fraud. You know, things like that, 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 the things that we tell ourselves. And so what, you know, like Brene Brown, who's a big shame researcher that a lot of people know right now, um, has given us kind of a, a common language and framework for this experience of not feeling good enough. And the shame researchers have discovered that in the brain, there's actually a lack of optimal development in the right brain that tells us that we're lovable. And so 
we have to reconstruct, that's the architecture, we have to reconstruct the, literally the neural network in the brain by providing experiences that help us feel lovable. So for everything we don't want, there's always something we do want. So when I'm looking at we don't want shame, what do we want? We want authenticity. So I came up with authenticity, and then the architecture is really, when I think about building a house or remodeling a house, and, you know, you have to kind of really create, you have to design what it is, what does that look like, and it's different for everybody. So I kind of put together all of my... um, my work in child development and education and psychology and in healing shame and creating a framework for what it is we want. What, it, what, it, what are we moving towards as we're healing shame? And so art and architecture, you know, the art, art is the creative aspect, the, the really, you know, we know that the right brain is all about creativity and um, emotion and sensory nonverbal feeling. So we really have to um, acknowledge that part of our, ourselves and bring experiences to our, our creative self, our emotional self that feel good. And that's how we actually reconstruct the architecture of the brain. We, you know, there's neuroplasticity that allows us to actually create new neural connections in the brain. And so that's what authenticity architecture is. <laughs> it's putting it all together. It's really just my version of psychotherapy with a lot of extra um, connect the dot pieces that I put together for my own personal and professional life. Uh, no way. I, I think that kind of visual framing is really cool. You know, like uh, constructing that I guess, structure of support in your uh, mind and your identity. Um, and you talked about providing those experiences, I guess, like the logs of the cabin, um, kind of the resources to build that uh, structure. How do you mm-hmm. exactly identify what those experiences are? How do you define like good experiences versus bad experiences? Well, what the brain really wants is to feel good, right? We, wanna, we want mm-hmm. uh, joy and pleasure and fun and... Um, what are the things that bring those experiences to us? So it's all so individual because everybody's different. Like I said, some people might not like to write, but for me it was was something that brought me pleasure. Even writing about, you know, grief, it still was something that made me feel better. Um, Some people might like to do art. Some people might like to... Um, again, do dance or yoga or anything like that. So I get to know my clients and figure out what, you know, what their interests are. What do they like? You know, what what do they like to do and what really brings them joy? And then I connect the dots from, I look at, you know, we look at what's happening present time. There's an excavation exercise that I have on my website where they take a deep sea dive into what they're experiencing. So C stands for situation, E is for emotion, and A is for aspiration. So what do they want? So let's look at the situation. Let's look at what we're feeling. Let's let's decide what it is we want, but detach from the outcome because a lot of times people can't necessarily get everything that they want in that moment, and so they just kind of shut down and they don't even think about it anymore. So I want people to to bring it up to consciousness. What is it I'm really feeling and wanting here without being attached to it happening right now? But we take a look. We take that deep sea dive into that, and then we come up with what it 
what it is, what is our authentic truth? So if I'm feeling, for instance, I'm feeling abandoned, right, in, in the deep sea dive. If I'm feeling abandoned, then it, I probably was abandoned when I was younger, most likely, had some experience of that somewhere. And if I was abandoned, then the, the shame feeling is that I'm not lovable, so we want to reconstruct that and go into, well, the truth is you are lovable, and most people don't believe that, right? So it's like, fake it till you make it. So let's, let's imagine what it might be like to be lovable. Imagine appreciating something. That's the feeling. Let's, let's go into the authentic truth, and then let's embody it in something we enjoy doing. So the next time you're doing a painting, let's paint. I work with mandalas, too, you know, and um, put images in a circle, that are all about um, being lovable. Um, but again, it has to be something that the individual enjoys because that's going to bring that experience into their body and shift, you know, some of the old tapes. It takes a long time because what they're saying now is, you know, everything that we know to be true about ourselves is all set up by the time we're age seven and we're like in a hypnotic trance. And so it's all unconscious. So my work is really bringing it up to consciousness, working with creating a new structure of, a, of the belief system, and then embodying it some way in something that we enjoy doing. And this is repetition over and over and over and being really kind to ourselves in the process. Wow. Well, so I love the long you... version, but short version. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I love as well that you mentioned all of these different therapeutic tools. You get to talk to your client and you find out what they like to do. So if it's dance, if it's art, and then you can kind of tailor your, um, you know, treatment towards that. I think that that's so important. And I wanted to ask you specifically about vision boards, because it's something that I've been hearing about quite a lot. And I haven't really made a vision board in in years and years. I think the last time I did it was maybe in in high school. Um, So I wanted to know what you think about vision boards. Do you feel like it's a worthwhile tool for the new year, especially as we're going into 2020 and we're trying to set new goals and stay on purpose? How do you think that um, that could be a worthwhile tool? Well, I've already done two vision board workshops this year with people, two different groups of people, and I personally think they're amazing. I have you know, them posted, you know, front and center, the ones that I've done, um, because it, on many levels, one, it does what I mentioned earlier about it, it, the creativity brings joy and relaxation. Also, I didn't mention calms the nervous system, which is really important, too. We know about, you know, once in the right brain setup of not feeling lovable, we try and create a story to feel safe, and then it goes into our nervous system. So we go in a lot to our fight or flight. So when I'm doing art and I'm doing a vision board, it, it disconnects some of that um, nervous system response and gets me into a feeling of relaxation if I enjoy doing it. So again, that's the key. You know, some people get really intimidated with art and they think, oh, it's not good enough. Oh, it's too hard. I can't do it. And, you know, they, they can't relax into the experience. Um, but those of us that can, like myself and people who enjoy doing that, collaging, you know, it's a relaxing activity, so you're giving your brain and your nervous system this information that you're safe, everything's good, and then you're choosing things that you want to create, things that that match what is your authentic self. So, you know, what do you want to bring into your life? Do you want to bring in a relationship? Do you want to bring in a beautiful garden? Do you want to bring in 
um, a million dollars. <laughs> you know, what do you want to create in your life? And then you find pictures and words and things that represent that, and you glue it on your on your collage board, and then you have it to look at later. So it really is a in-the-moment experience that really calms the nervous system, and it's also a visualization tool to help us really gain clarity of what we want. And then it's something we have to remind us, because again, back to the repetition, we forget. So, like, if I look at something on my vision board and it says something like um, spirituality, mindfulness, and wellness or something, you know, for example, I remember, oh, yeah, right, that's that's part of my vision is to bring that into the world. So, you know, not that I'm going to forget that, but it's just good to bring it up to consciousness over and over and over again. So I think those are three ways that vision boards are helpful. But, again, if it's something that somebody goes, ooh, this is not fun, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it really depends. Uh, yeah. And speaking of setting those goals, uh, I, I was also really curious. Um, I could be actually completely wrong on this, but bringing it back to shame a little, um, I've always kind of saw shame as uh, this want or need for self-improvement or to get better, just burdened by all this horrible toxicity, right? Um, is there a way to kind of extract that want to be better, that striving for self-improvement without taking in all that extra toxicity that lies on top of it? Well, I think we have to get to the what is underneath in order to really shift it. I mean, it's uh, I think Brene Brown's definition is the feeling of being unworthy of love and belonging. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, we're all worthy of love and belonging, right? That's the authentic truth. But Somehow in our body, we set up this belief that we're unworthy of love and belonging. So when something specific happens that triggers shame, um, the difference between um, something like shame and guilt, like guilt is I did something bad, shame is I, I am bad. So if I've done something, I've hurt another human being, you know, I was like, you know, really mean and, and, and said some things or maybe even, you know, maybe stole something. I don't know, you know, did something that we feel really bad about. We can feel guilty about that. And, and, you know, of course we want to make amends for that, but the difference with guilt and shame is I may, um, I can't get over it. You know, it keeps coming back up. What did I done? What have I done? I'm such a terrible person. Why did I do that? I just can't seem to, you know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's the difference between core shame and a feeling of guilt or humiliation or embarrassment or something like that. It's so deep in the unconscious that the work of authenticity architecture is to really dig those, dig those um, experiences of shame up so you can then um, restory them, write a new story like, wait a second. I'm worthy of love and belonging. Okay, you know, I made a mistake. It's okay. And it's not easy because we have to, again, repeat over and over to get the body to change this message that it's just been, it's just been carrying for, you know, forever. And it's like, okay, you know, you want to change that up? Well, try it, you know. <laughs> and it's going to, the body is, Bessel van der Kolk says the body, you know, Keep score and the body always wins. So the body memory is always going to try and override the new authentic truth that you're trying to tell it. So you have to be really kind to yourself. And then it's like, then we get ashamed of our shame, right? Well, I can't get rid of it. (laughs) So it's really about how do you love yourself 
through the process of all of it, you know. Right. And that's how you rebuild the the, the different um, architecture in the brain that says, oh, I'm enough. I'm enough. I got this. Yeah. Right. So I guess it's like contextualizing all aspects of your identity to kind of build that authenticity. Um, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that brings us to a close. We are out of time. Uh, thank you so much, Patty, uh, for coming on and sharing your incredible journey with us today. It was really uh, insightful and really interesting to hear about it. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, audience, uh, find out more about uh, Patty at pattyashley.com. And remember to check out our book, Letters to Freedom. Uh, make sure to support our show as well and learn about upcoming Be The Star You Are events at bethestarur.org. Support more segments like this by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program at bethestarur.org. Visit btsya.org to find out more about spreading positivity with Be The Star You Are. Stick around for more Oh, stick around for more on productivity. I'm Caitlin Darrow. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated. Hear about success stories and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment channel. 
I'm Caitlin Darrow, and today my co-host, Kenneth, will be concluding our show on productivity and hindsight with an edition of his film-centered segment, 2020 Vision. The floor is yours, Kenneth. Thanks, Caitlin. Um, so, yeah, before I get started, actually, I wanted to point out something cool. Um, I think it really matches the timing with hindsight today. Uh, my first segment ever on the show was actually also about hindsight, and here I am doing another one, the first one in a while, and it's also about hindsight. I just thought it was kind of funny that the subject matches so well. Um, anyway, uh, today I actually want to talk about the Academy Awards. Uh, of course, what other movie-related subject embodies the ideas of productivity and hindsight better than the event where the entire industry looks back and recognizes the best work from the year. Uh, but I don't want to just talk about the awards in the context of what were and weren't the best movies of the year, because I think there are some really interesting, wider, broader changes that have become more apparent with the 2019-2020 award season. So the main big thing that's gotten a lot of attention recently is the newfound recognition and status of foreign films, or I should say non-American, not English-speaking films, I guess. Um, and that's largely off the back, at least this year, from a South Korean movie called Parasite. So this movie, Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho, uh, has been receiving industry acclaim across the world. It's been sweeping the award season so far. Uh, it actually won Best Foreign Language Film at the Golden Globes. It won the Palme, Palme d'Or or Palme d'Or. I'm not super sure on how to say that. It never happened, but I think one of those is kind of close. Uh, anyway, it's the highest film uh, prize at Cannes Film Festival. Um, and the director, Bong joon has said about receiving the Golden Globe, uh, once you overcome the one-inch-tall barrier of subtitles, you will be introduced to so many more amazing films. Just being nominated along with fellow amazing international filmmakers was a huge honor. I think we use only one language, the cinema. So yeah, that quote, he kind of just went over how he feels about uh, this acceptance of foreign language movies coming into, uh, I guess, American uh, Western lenses, people being able to appreciate those kinds of foreign language movies more for what they are rather than just a uh, language that they can't understand. Uh, and that quote has been used as, I guess, like a banner or a figurehead, whatever you want to call it, of that kind of movement to accept uh, foreign language films more into the mainstream. And I should say, while these are notable accomplishments, these aren't actually that groundbreaking of achievements in the wider context. Of course, you know, winning like these awards is a huge deal to anyone, but it's not really the first time a Palme d'Or or Palme d'Or or whatever has been awarded to a foreign language film. The Cannes Film Festival has always been pretty uh, international and universal. There have been lots of foreign language films that have gotten that award. Uh, and of course, it won the best foreign language film at Golden Globes. So it was kind of uh, confined to that category. Uh, and while this isn't, these are big awards, but they aren't too huge, uh, what has gotten a lot of people uh, watching and a, a lot of people attentive is its nomination for the Best Picture for the 2020 Oscars. Um, yeah, the it was nominated for the Best Picture Award, the like big, what is the best movie of the year award, basically. Uh, what's also interesting that it was What's also interesting is that it was nominated for the Best Foreign Language Film as well. 
Which, of course, begs the question, why is there a Best Foreign Language Film category if a foreign language film can be nominated for the Best Picture? Um, of course, if it wins Best Picture, then obviously, using like simple reasoning and logic rules, I guess, it would have to win the Best Foreign Language Film, right? And this is also something that happened with the movie Roma last year, which was directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, Roma uses uh, Spanish uh, throughout the movie, but... It was also nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars and uh, Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. It also won the Best Foreign Language Golden Globes uh, Award, but it didn't win the Palme Palm d'Or. Uh, that went to actually another foreign film, a Japanese film, I think, called Shoplifters. Uh, but yeah, I think what differentiates Parasite this year is just how much attention it's gotten this time. Um, Roma, yes, was a big deal last year, but the fact that this is one like huge, the top prizes in the industry, the Palme d'Or, the Golden Globes, and now it's slated to, um, people are actually saying that this has a very good chance of winning the Best Picture Award for the 2020 Oscars. The fact that a foreign language film can win these uh, huge awards is actually uh, really significant in the fact that it really cements this acceptance of foreign language films and an international broader scope of, uh, you know, looking at movies, not just not just confining uh, what is the best to that kind of uh, Western American English-speaking uh, context, but looking all over the world for those uh, gems in the rough or diamonds in the rough. And what's also really cool is that this movie gained a lot of attention off of word of mouth, which is something that kind of isn't that prevalent with a lot of the biggest movies anymore. Um, I mean, of course it is with... Uh, really good movies with a lot of people talking about it, getting good reviews and good audience good audience reception, kind of propelling this movie into success. But the fact that there wasn't super heavy marketing um, before all this award attention, uh, it was just a movie that a lot of people saw and a lot of people liked and kind of recommended to their friends, recommended to their audiences, their followers and things like that. The fact that this was able to gain so much traction is a really big deal. Um, the fact that this was so organic and the fact that it was able to gain so much success off of this organic process uh, is another really big indicator of how prevalent these foreign language movies are becoming. Um, it's also important to note that Korean films and foreign movies in general have been able to gain that momentum uh, because cinema was already became, becoming more and more widely accessible to foreign language movies. Um, not just having movies played at like movie theaters and things like that, but there are films with themes of being quote-unquote form that have been gaining attraction at uh, awards in the past few years. Uh, notably, Guillermo del Toro won Best Director for Shape of Water, uh, which was a movie he made really clear uh, was about like marginalized groups and becoming familiar with the other. It was actually a movie I talked about before on Best, uh, Be the Star You Are. Um, yeah, that has a lot to do with kind of coming, of building relationships with people who aren't familiar to you. Um, yeah, and I think this is a really cool indicator of how uh, universal that kind of entertainment lens is becoming, um, especially with the internet becoming so big and allowing for so much access to every part of the world. Those kinds of external geographic uh, language barriers aren't really as big of a problem anymore. And I think those official bastions of like the movie industry, like the Oscars, like the Golden Globes, um, coming to recognize that is a really big uh, landmark in coming to accept those kinds of changes. So, yeah, I think this is just a really cool 
transition that we're seeing right now with this award season this year. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing, Kenneth. I totally agree um, about foreign language films becoming more mainstream. I think it's really exciting to see, and especially because we do live in such a multicultural world. So um, I'm excited to see future award shows and how we get to see all these genres blended together. Audience, please support BTSYA and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs on our main site, at bethestarur.org. You've been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. I'm Caitlin Darrow. And I'm Kenneth Chun. As always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. Be productive, be perceptive, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself.